Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. I am here with my guest, Dr. Bulkavage, to talk all things about the thyroid. Now, he is the third guest I think we've got from across the pond, so if you hear me speak that little bit slower in today's episode, you'll know why. Dr. Eric, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Not a problem. An absolute pleasure. Um, now, There'll be a lot of people listening out there who perhaps don't know too much about you and sort of what you do. So what I was wondering, just as an introduction, can you give the listeners you know, an idea into sort of your own education, your career to date, um, and just kind of let the listeners know exactly what it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I originally started off as a, a medical technologist coming out of college, which is a person who does a lot of blood chemistry and study. My initial goal was to head off to medical school um and and during the time that i was in college i was in a car accident injured my back and uh wound up meeting a chiropractor uh who really was able to get me better when a lot of medical treatment wasn't um and so he changed the direction talked me into going uh to chiropractic school and um and Fell in, it fell in love with chiropractic. I mean, it was also helpful that they had a rugby team and I got to play rugby while I was there. But um, but I wound up going to chiropractic school and be, becoming a chiropractor and was really happy with that aspect of uh, what I was doing. But uh, somewhere along the way, I had a, a family member who got diagnosed with hypothyroidism and um, I was asked to kind of give my two cents as to what was going on. They, they got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Uh, they had fibroids, they uh, were anemic, and, you know, the medical intervention was, you know, take out the fibroids, put you on iron, and uh, put you on thyroid hormone medication uh, for, you know, for the rest of your life, and this was the, this was what was going to be, and, and so I was asked for my input, and I said, you know, at this point in my career, I didn't really know that much about thyroid physiology, you know, I learned the very basics, but uh, because it was a family member, I really started digging into what was going on um, and dealt, got into blood chemistry again, started taking a lot of functional medicine courses and became a functional medicine practitioner. And in the effort of, of trying to help that person, um, I started talking to my patient base and saying, you know, talking to them what I was learning as I was adjusting them. And I started finding out how many people were on thyroid medication. And I was yeah. like, man, something's, something's up here. And so, in the course of doing all the functional medicine training and, and certified nutrition training, um, there was this thought and concept that hypothyroidism was, you know, caused by, for the vast majority of people, an immune system out of control, something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And so the focus was always on how to manage the immune system, like the immune system was doing something wrong. And the longer I was in the field, and working with people with thyroid issues, I really started to change my thought process on thyroid physiology. Um, and today, helping people with thyroid physiology problems is probably my primary thing. I don't do much chiropractic care anymore. I really focus on uh, trying to help people understand what's going on with thyroid physiology and not so much how to fix the thyroid gland, uh, but to get a sense of what's going on in the body that's causing the thyroid physiology to behave the way it is. So today, I help people with thyroid physiology-related problems, um, and that's pretty much all I do is, uh, is, is deal with that. Now, 
to deal with that means I need to be able to um, assess blood work appropriately, help somebody with chronic GI issues, all different aspects of their life. So I'm rarely ever treating the thyroid. I'm always yeah. looking at the factors that are influencing how the physiology reacts. That's awesome. And I think the listeners out there listening, uh, there'll be a lot of sort of bodybuilders or perhaps within the bodybuilding industry in the UK, um, they will take extraneous thyroid hormone when they are um, on a, say, a prep diet. But I think that before we got into that, just giving someone an understanding of, I know that it's it's many things that the thyroid does, but I wondered, you know, with you being that sort of go-to guy that looks at everything, not just the thyroid gland, could you give the listeners an idea of, you know, what is the thyroid gland? What does it do? But perhaps why in today's society, you know, it's misinterpreted as, uh, I say, an underactive thyroid when perhaps it, it's not, because you just said you look at a whole lot of other things. Um, so if you could give us a brief, I know it's not going to be brief, but, you know, the best overview, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, so I think we have to think about what the thyroid gland does. So the thyroid gland pumps out mass production of thyroid hormone, T4, T3, the primary hormones that are released by the thyroid gland. And what it does is it dumps that into the bloodstream. So we have a, a constant circulating supply of available thyroid hormone in the bloodstream. Okay. Sure. Now, for thyroid hormone to have its primary functions, it has to get into your peripheral cells, your muscle cells, your GI cells, your liver cells, it has to get into the tissue. And thyroid hormone in those tissues it is what helps regulate your metabolism. So if we want to have the, the metabolism of your muscle cells increase, we need more thyroid hormone getting into the cell, converting T4 to T3, T3 binds to receptors inside the cells and speeds up your metabolism. If a cell wants to slow down its metabolism, then that thyroid hormone gets deactivated and dispersed out of the body, metabolized out of the body. So you could think about thyroid hormone really being like the accelerator on the car. It either increases metabolism or decreases metabolism. And it, that's its primary role. And it also drives the production and stimulation of a lot of genes that are responsible for growth, development, and even inflammation and oxidative stress. So it is, is thyroid hormone is how the body really regulates actions. And so too much, not good, too little, not good. So we're always looking for the right amount. And the, the key, one of the key things that's really important is, is that all the systems of the body, all the tissues are able to self-regulate because they're not, they're dependent to some degree on how much thyroid hormone the gland makes and how much is in the bloodstream, but each, the cells in each tissue self-regulate. So they can say, Hey, GI tract needs to be upregulated. So thyroid hormone can be upregulated there but it can be down-regulated somewhere else at the same time. So each tissue has the ability to self-regulate. That's awesome. Now, with there being so many people, as you said, on thyroid hormone for perhaps, a, I say, a not properly diagnosed or clinical underactive thyroid, what would be some of the like number one factors that are maybe causing that? Now, I think uh, in seeing some of your Instagram sort of videos, you'll often say that, you know, well, it's not necessarily an underactive thyroid. It's been sort of caused by, for example, high levels of stress. So just from like a physiological perspective, 
Um, and by all means, feel free to, to geek out on this one. Um, how does that necessarily work? Or how does that perhaps show up in a blood panel? Yeah, well, I think the first thing we have to talk about is what is hypothyroidism, right? Sure, That's the sure. biggie, right? Yeah. So in the classic model of allopathic medicine, um, hypothyroidism is, designed, is determined or um, signified by a lack of thyroid hormone production being made by the gland. So TSH is elevated, T4 is low, and that's when somebody is officially diagnosed with hypothyroidism, a disease of the gland, gland can't make enough, and therefore medical intervention comes into play. And that is, I guess, okay for a medical definition because the goal in medicine is to, is to identify when it's time to provide a medical treatment thyroid hormone in this case to try and, and normalize a value. Yep. But when we think, consider what's going on at the gland to arrive at that diagnosis, by the time somebody's TSH thyroid stimulating hormone rises above lab range and T4 drops below lab range, you've essentially lost 90% of the function of the gland. So that is not the beginning of a thyroid physiology problem. That's okay. the end stage of yeah. thyroid physiology problem. That's interesting. So I like to break, hypothyroidism down to a little bit differently. Okay. So what really triggers hypothyroid symptoms, hormone GI function and poor GI motility, hormone imbalances, uh, toxicity, weight gain, dry skin, thinning hair, brain fog, fatigue, all of these symptoms we associate with hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism at its core is the lack of T3 or reduced levels of T3 reaching the receptors inside tissues. Okay. So okay. you go, we're all made of cells. We're made of trillions and trillions of cells and those cells make up tissues. Tissues make up organs, organs make up systems, right? Sure. And so when there is decreased thyroid hormone in the cells of a particular tissue, then that tissue is going to start to trigger symptoms of hypothyroidism. Okay. Yep. So that could be so what that means is you could have hypothyroid symptoms, but have a to totally normally functioning thyroid gland. You could have totally normal levels of thyroid hormone in the blood. But the reason you develop hypothyroid symptoms is because there's less T3 reaching the receptors inside the cells of either lots of tissues or specific tissues. Okay. Yes. So that, that, making that difference is really important because that means the person who's got hypothyroid symptoms, but normal TSH isn't making this stuff up. It's a reality because cell, the, t the cells of a particular tissue are down-regulating the conversion of T4 to T3, decreased T3 reaching receptor. So I term that cellular or tissue hypothyroidism. Okay. Okay. And that is, that occurs many times and most times long before the thyroid gland becomes dysfunctional okay all right so we break down i break down thyroid physiology into almost like a spectrum disorder so sure. we have something that triggers cellular deactivation of thyroid hormone this cellular hypothyroid state if it's short term it's short some type of short-term stress causes cellular hypothyroidism if the stress goes away, the thyroid physiology goes back to normal and you're good. If that stress becomes persistent, then cellular hypothyroidism becomes persistent and consistent. 
which drives consistent symptoms. And in time, that can this the stress response can create create a cascade of problems where the cells start to trigger a defense mechanism, something called a cell danger response. We'll talk about maybe in a little bit. Sure. And when that cell danger response kicks in, it, it triggers the activation of the immune system. And that activation of the immune system is what can trigger the damage to the thyroid gland. And that something we call Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the autoimmune or the immune attack on the gland. And if that's short term and it, that gets back under control, then maybe the gland never becomes dysfunction dysfunctional yeah. to a level that you get diagnosed as primary hypothyroidism. But if it stays constant and persistent, then the person can start to see their TSH rise, but T4 still be normal because the gland is being damaged. And that's a state called subclinical hypothyroidism. There's no need for medical treatment at that point. And then again, if that continue, that stress is consistent, consistent, chronic, and there's enough immune attack on the gland, at some point, the gland loses 90% of function, TSH rises above lab range, T4 production drops below lab range, and now a person gets diagnosed as primary hypothyroidism. So if you think about it for the listeners, if you're tired, fatigued, if you Google the symptoms of hypothyroidism and you've got a bunch of them, there's a good chance that you have cellular hypothyroidism going on, but it hasn't advanced to a state where either the gland is so dysfunctional that TSH is high and T4 is low, but you're still having a level of hypothyroidism in your cells and tissues. Yeah, okay? and that's, that's something that over here, no one's really talking about. I mean, I think that people are talking about this massive state of sympathetic drive that people are always in. It's all, they're always stressed, it's always elevated because it, whether it's work, bills, you know, family problems, and then compound exercise on top of that and a shit diet, it's it, it's a no-brainer at what like everything you just said in my head makes sense. And there's maybe some listeners out there thinking, God, I, I don't know what that means, but I just wanted to throw in there that, that stress can be what mental or physical and the body reacts the same way. So I didn't mean to interrupt. You seemed like you were on a, a bit of a roll there. So I apologize if you lost your train of thought. No, no, no. Uh, but that's a good point. So the, I, I want to get back to your other question. Like, okay, so what what's causing this, right? Why do we have so many people that are complaining and struggling with chronic hypothyroid symptoms and the answer comes down to we're we're we need stress in our lives we need some because there's a hormetic effect to stress right you have some stress sure. your body adapts it makes you stronger so it's not like we're ever going to be out of stress or that we want to uh, lifting weights and exercising is great for putting some stress on the body breaking it down a little bit then allowing it to rebuild itself bigger stronger so we need some stress the challenge is, is that when we have excessive stress because of diet and lifestyle factors and exercise, that excessive stress can trigger this activation of, of, of what we call a cell danger response. The, the cells start to perceive danger and the stress is excessive. So when stress becomes excessive, it triggers a danger response. And part of the, the impact of a danger response is for the body to go away from growth and development and towards self-defense okay and i always use this analogy like if you were if you were preparing food for your family cooking in the kitchen and everybody hanging around the kitchen and all of a sudden somebody broke into your home with a gun and started attacking everybody 
would you continue to cook? You know, would you just, you know, like, oh, oh yeah. it's okay, don't worry about it. No, you would let you drop what you were doing and you go into defense mode, right? Yeah. The food's going to burn, you know, the food's going to, that's going to be not important. And so when we have excessive levels of stress on our cells and tissues, our body does the same thing. It says, wait a sec, we've got a threat going on here. We, this is going to take more energy than we can typically drive and produce that stuff we call ATP. And so now we need to partition energy away from the things that are less important for survival towards the things that are going to be more important for survival. Okay. Yep. So we may not feel great, but that's not the purpose in the moment. We may ramp up our fight and flight system because we're in self-defense mode. If you are, if you're running from a tiger, you don't need to take a nap, right? So yeah. you're not going to lay down and take a sleep. You need to run. You need to be alert. You need to be on high, high energy, high alert. And so the brain gets upregulated and a lot of the peripheral tissues get downregulated under t times of excessive stress. So do you need hormones? You know, does a female need to have a normal hormone cycle if she's being chased by a tiger? Probably not. That's not the state to give birth, yeah. right? Yep. So hormone physiology changes. Um, do you need good GI function if you're running from a tiger? Probably not. You're not going to stop and have a meal. You're not stopping to have sex. You're not stopping to have a meal. You're not stopping to take a nap. You are in high alert mode. And so what needs to be upregulated in that situation is the brain. And what needs to be downregulated is a lot of the things that are associated with growth and development. And you, when you're talking about the bodybuilding world, you know, these are people who are trying to build muscle mass, right? Build, um, bigger, stronger muscles, but if you're constantly putting yourself in levels of excessive stress, it, you're, you're actually being counterproductive, right? Yeah. Because your body's going, hey, wait a second, we're in danger mode here. And yeah. I'll, I'll give you a great example of that even for me personally, for, I, I've been doing endurance sports for a long period of time, and um, it was in my 40s that you know, as I'm training for a triathlon, I do my blood work. You know, I assume I'm doing a lot of the right things, right? I yeah. eat well, exercise all the time. And my blood work shows I'm insulin resistant. My blood work shows I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, my inflammatory markers are elevated. And I had to take a step back and say, wait a second, what's going on here? And really take an honest look at my, my life and my habits. And when you take a look back, you know, what was I doing? I was, I was priding myself on four hours of sleep a night, right? Because, Hey, I got to get up and I got to study and I got to yeah. train and I got to work and I got to coach and I got to you know do all those things. Um, and so I'm getting lack of sleep, which is super stressful on the, on the body. Cause when does the body heal repair? When does the brain get cleaned out? It's when you're sleeping and not just when you sleep, when you get the best quantity and quality of sleep, yeah. right? So cheating myself with sleep was a problem. Um, through wrestling and, and rugby, I've had numerous broken noses and a deviated septum, so I don't breathe great. And so I was a person who was mouth breathing. And so when you mouth breathe, it creates hypoxia, lack of oxygen to the brain and to other tissues, and that creates a stress response. And then when you add the excessive training, like I was training in my 40s, like I was still in my 20s, and you know how this is when you're an athlete in your training, more is better, right? Oh, I yeah. need to work harder and harder and harder. And oh, I've got a little belly fat. I'll just exercise even harder to try and get rid of that. Yep. And so what I was failing to realize was I was, 
I was doing a lot of the right things, but I was also doing a lot of the wrong things in an effort to achieve certain goals, right? Yeah. And so I was cutting out sleep. I wasn't breathing appropriately. My diet wasn't bad, but I was training excessively and not allowing for recovery. And so that was putting excessive stress on my system. Now you add a business. Now you add coaching. Now you add everything else in marriage, family, relationships, all those other things. And that stress load was putting me into a danger response on a chronic level. And so what does the body do? I don't look at what happened to me as the, as a disorder of my thyroid physiology. I look at the change in thyroid physiology as my body saying, whoa, we've got danger going on here. Slow the metabolism down, ramp up the inflammatory system and the immune system to go find out whatever this is and address it. And that's not a bad thing if it's an organism, yeah. but if it's self-imposed, if it's excessive exercise, there's nothing for the immune system to kill, right? There's nothing for it to go yeah. after. And so now you have this disruption of, of your physiology because of mindset, because of lack of sleep, because of hypoxia, because of excessive exercise. And that's what, what drove my Hashimoto's and autoimmunity. And once I realized that, and I realized, oh man, I got I to gotta chill, I got to change the way I do things here. I was able to put my Hashimoto's into remission. My thyroid comes back to normal. My insulin resistance goes back to normal. So instead of looking at the thyroid dysfunction as the problem, we really need to look at that as the warning sign or the gauge that, hey, there's a problem going on with physiology. Yeah. And so, go ahead. I know you want to. I just said, I keep nodding because you're preaching to the choir here. Every part of what I do with coaching is about managing stress or making people aware of it. You know, they'll send me their consult sheet and I'm like, you do realize that you sleep five hours a night and you work 12 hour shifts and you want to do a contest prep. Like, let's sort out the getting more sleep first. Let's sort out your poor dietary choices and then we'll worry about that because the body in a state of stress just, it's not going to want to add tissue. It's not going to want to mobilize body fat in any sort of way it's always going to be fighting against us and i think i was just off a consult call with dr dean to discuss thyroid results with a client and when i think about it now you know i see so many women in this industry with quite frequent cycles menstrual cycles and i'm i'm straight away and quite naive to it i would say that's got to be high you know underactive thyroid but often although they've told me they're not stressed we can get very good at being chronically stressed and just adjusting to that level. And, and maybe perhaps I, I should always consider that i got to just go down the rabbit hole a little bit more and get people chilling out more because in this bodybuilding scene, we see the client, everything you described about five minutes ago about sort of GI dysfunction, frequent periods, the low energy, the clients come to us all the time with that and they, they often don't know why and then they get often fobbed off by the doctors here, the GPs as oh, well, everything's fine. Or if it's a female and they're getting frequent cycles, they're like, oh, here's a pill, just go on that. Here's a pill, just go on that. And it's like a lack of support. But everything you're saying, I'm like, I wish there was more people in the UK saying that. And I hope that people listening to this podcast take take that on board. Um, in regards to the sort of frequent cycles that we see, is that just simply a case of, you know, you talked about this um, cellular hypothyroidism rather than actual subclinical hypothyroidism 
can you give the listeners an idea of what that means? Because some of them will be kind of, some of them will be following along, others will be a little bit like, right, okay, how could we perhaps not have uh, a period with an underactive thyroid? Yeah, so if somebody has hypothyroid, if somebody's got excessive stress, okay, remember that excessive stress is going to trigger a danger response. And as you trigger the danger response, then you're going to have a slowing down of thyroid hormone physiology in a lot of the cells in, in the tissues that actually help regulate and drive uh, hormone production. One of the things that's going to happen is, is that as that cell danger response or that stress response goes up, you're going to have the release, more release of stuff called cortisol. And then cortisol is going to have an impact on some of the hormones that are actually produced. So you're, you're going to have a decreasing gonadotropin releasing hormone. That's going to have an impact on LH and FSH, and that's going to have an impact on what's happening with um, with estrogen production and what's happening with uterus, ovaries, and function there. The challenge is, is that most doctors are looking to determine whether you have hypothyroidism by looking at a TSH value, okay? Yeah. And so for years, it's been believed that TSH is the best indicator of whether you have a thyroid problem or not, okay? And there's problems with this. Uh, TSH does not give you a, so we have to think about being in two states. One is a homeostatic state, right? Homeostatic state means, hey, everything's balanced, low stress. And in that homeostatic state, we have one regulating system that says, hey, we're going to partition energy. We have enough energy coming into the body to meet body demands. And then, but we're going to parse that energy off to the, to the organs and tissues that need them as, as the need, as the need arises, right? So, you have electricity coming into your house. You don't always have all the power on. You turn switches on in each room as you need them, turn them off as you need them. That's how the body works in homeostasis. Sure. But when we're in chronic stress, that puts us in a state of allostasis, okay? And what that means is, is that the body has less energy, essentially, to do the actions that are needed. And in that state, the body now has to say, okay, I don't have enough energy to do all these actions, so I have to shut down some actions that are less important and less needed to take care of the more, more important things. And the best way to, for maybe a, a listener to understand is if the power went out in your house, right, and we plugged in a generator, you can't turn everything on, right? You can't have the refrigerator on, the washing machine on, the dishwasher on, all the lights on, because you'll blow the generator. There's just not enough energy to run the system. And so... In an allostatic state, you meet the most you meet you meet the demands of the most important tissues, but there's always a cost. Sure. And that cost is going to come at the expense of the tissues that are less needed for fight, flight, and survival. Okay? Yep. So for a female, if she's in chronic stress because of, hey, I'm calorie restricting, I'm doing a lot of lifting and strength training. I'm not getting enough sleep. I've got the emotions of everything that has to go on. The body is, the energy demand is far greater than what it can bring in. Then you're gonna go into this cell danger response. You shift into allostatic regulation and the things that are less important for survival go down. Hormones, not really critically important. Estrogen, what's the purpose of estrogen? Estrogen really, and the purpose there is to bring a ch child into the world, yeah. right? And so if you're in chronic danger, is this the body to, that needs to get pregnant? Probably not. So hormone cycles become dysregulated. 
and they can become dysregulated if you're hypothyroid or hyperthyroid, but by far what we see is people under chronic stress, they're going to have down regulation of their peripheral tissues. And the challenge is, is that TSH doesn't represent that. TSH represents yeah. how much thyroid hormones in the blood and getting to the hypothalamus. And yeah. the big challenge is, is that's been thought to be the gold standard to tell us when there's thyroid dysfunction. But as I told you before, you'd have to have 90% disrupt dysfunction of the thyroid gland before TSH goes out of lab range. So it's not an early indicator of thyroid disease. They, there was a point where they said, well, TSH will give us a, a good idea when there's, when there's like cancer or nodules developing. Well, that's not true either because there are, there's lots of literature and research showing that thyroid cancer develops before TSH is elevated or when it's normal. And nodules, thyroid nodules, these growths on the thyroid gland develop with people who have totally normal TSH. So what's going on? When you have a chronic stress response, you have chronic inflammation. And when you have chronic inflammation, inflammation can suppress TSH, making it appear normal when it's not. Yeah. The other piece is when you're in this stress state, when you're in this allopath, all, allostatic regulating state, the brain and the body regulate differently. The hypothalamus that made this big, this little teeny gland in the brain gets, has its conversion of T4 to T3 upregulated. So the, the hypothalamus has increased conversion of T4 to T3. And when that happens, there's decreased with a, what's called thyroid releasing hormone, which is the hormone that goes to the pituitary gland and says, hey, make more TSH. Why does this happen? Well, if you think about what we're talking about, there's danger. There's a danger signal. Mm -hmm. Body metabolism is generally, and we're just going to say a general slowdown. That's not like every tissue is slowed down at the same rate and function. Um, but the brain is, the conversion of T4 to T3 in the brain is essentially upregulated at the hypothalamus and it's downregulated at the body. And so doctors are looking at TSH only. And it's not really a doctor being a bad doctor. That's just what the guidelines are. The guidelines yeah. say measure TSH. If it's abnormal, then you do a reflex tested T4. If that's abnormal, like too low, then it's time to provide medication. There's arguments in, in, the, in the kind of the thyroid world. Should we provide thyroid hormone support sooner? And my answer to that is no because medical intervention at that point in time is probably not appropriate. And somebody might say, but, but why? Well, when there's a danger response, your cells and tissues are actively deactivating your thyroid hormone. So if they're actively deactivating it, they're trying to get rid of it, does putting more into the system help the system or harm the system, okay? And so another thing we have to consider is that when TSH drops, when the hypothalamus is in the conversion of T4 to T3 increases in the hypothalamus and TSH drops, there are other signals that are sent to the periphery to say, hey, we're flooded up here with thyroid hormone and then trigger the peripheral deactivation of thyroid hormone. Okay. The enzyme, the iodinase 2 that converts T4 to T3 in your peripheral tissues gets deactivated. The, 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 the enzyme, the iodinase 3 that increases the deactivation of T4 to T to reverse T3 gets upregulated because the brain is saying, Hey, I'm flooded. So that means we must have enough thyroid hormone. So everywhere else starts slowing it down. So we, 
I don't think it's time for intervention with thyroid medication if you're subclinical in most cases or you have the chronic symptoms. More won't make it better. Maybe a good analogy is if your car wasn't running well and you went to the, to the garage and they said, well, the reason it's not running well is because the, the gas tank's three quarters full. Would you think that putting another quarter tank of gas in the car or overflowing it's going to make it work better? Yeah. There's many reasons why the car may not be running well with a three-quarter tank of gas. One of them is probably not that it's a quarter low. And so we have to look at the physiology and say, all right, what is this? This is a person who's got hypothyroid symptoms. Why is this going on? Or this is a person who actually has, is at an end stage of thyroid dysfunction where they have primary hypothyroidism. Why is the body doing this? Not we need to create what we call biochemical euthyroidism, normalize the TSH, that ha- may be necessary in some if they're at that exhausted state of the gland, but for the vast majority of people, we should be stepping back and saying, wait a second, what's creating the excessive cellular stress that's driving the physiology yeah. to deactivate thyroid hormone? Does that make sense? Oh, 100% makes sense. You're preaching to the, preaching to the choir, and I often uh, work with some females that have lost their cycle and it's not my job but I help them in regaining it and and all we do is mitigate the effects of stress from the body whether that's through you know pulling back their training put like changing their lifestyle meditation yoga you name it changing the diet increasing body fat in general as well but I've worked with some females who it's been you know say it's taken eight nine ten months for it to come back and it can be quite worrying for a female in the industry so what I think for like everything you just said, I'm sitting nodding. I hope that there's there, there's competitors out there that are listening going, right, if perhaps my menstrual cycle has went away, maybe they've not got bloods done, but with everything you just said, managing stress or trying to reduce your allostatic load should inevitably see thyroid function return or the subclinical thyroidism, you know, not be there and or the sorry, the peripheral hypothyroidism offset and things sort of return to normal but I guess the thing I always stress is patience and in everything what you just said there this is a bit off topic but that kind of explained my next question which was about bodybuilders supplementing T3 and T4 about what you said in regards to the fact that so much stress on the body like you're pulling body fat levels down to you know, 6%, 7%, exercises through the roof, calories are super low. But this is why if everything down-regulates in the body, we put in, our bodybuilders put in T3 and T4, can be why everything just goes boom. But I guess no one's really aware of the, the dangers of doing that. Yeah, so there, there's issues, right? So when we flood the body with T4, T3, and you increase the hypothalamic stimulation, one of those things that's going to happen is you're going to activate the sympathetic nervous system. Okay, So short term, you activate the sympathetic nervous system, which is going to activate what we call the brown adipose tissue, which is going to increase the burning of adipose tissue, right, fat, to generate heat and to generate energy. So that's great. If you're trying to lose weight like short term, somebody does that, right? The challenge that we come into, that's impacting maybe the brown adipose tissue, but it may be causing other systems to be shut down, hormonal cycle be shut down, gut physiology be shut down. So 
Short term, yeah, you're probably going to get upregulation of the brown adipose tissue. You're going to get increased thermogenesis. You're going to see some of that loss. But that's if it's extended or it becomes a chronic dose of that, then what does the body do? It, hey, it's going, hey, whoa, 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 this is excessive now. Now we need to shut the system down. So I understand why people do it, why they have some short-term success. I think the problem is you're going to have that rebound effect that you've shut down the, the, some of that peripheral st- stimulation and you're going to have uh, you're going to have systems that become dysfunctional because of the this kind of cyclic effect of the stress plus the extra thyroid hormone where you see that rebound effect I mean we see that all the time um, you know you see those people that are training and training and they're driving up you know their cortisol levels and they can't get rid of their their muffin top right? And they think that the solution for that is just to work out even harder, right? More intense exercise. And that's actually the opposite thing that they really need to do is because their body's saying, whoa, we're in so much stress and inflammation that high cortisol is causing the, the, the promotion of body fat storage, right? That's a defense mechanism yeah. to try and say, hey, we got to put it. The problem is it's where it's being put is really not where we want it. I love what you just said because that that will give someone an explanation that has listened to what I do with clients. So often going into a bodybuilding show, let's say two weeks away from that show, uh, when everything's at its peak, car is at the lowest and, and training's at its highest, I go the opposite way. I start to up food, I start to pull back training, I start to pull back, like if cardio's, let's say, hit training, it gets moved to just, say, steps or it gets moved to just low intensity steady state, and what we see time and time again, people get leaner. And they, they always look at me and they think I'm a wizard. And they go, how did you do that? And I go, it's just reducing stress on the body. But you put it in words that I don't think I could. And and that's awesome. I just wanted to point that out. What also I wanted to, to, to throw in there was what we'll see like after a bodybuilding show is someone's restricted their calories for so long. And they've maybe used sort of T3 and T4. And then afterwards... They, they stop using it straight away, boom, straight away. Now, stress on the body is still high, but what they do is they have this massive increase of caloric intake because cakes, cookies, junk, and they gain body fat at an alarmingly high rate. And I've seen, I've seen, I, you know, I've seen some people gain excesses of 20, 30 pounds easily in like a 10 to 14 day period. It, it's crazy. And one thing I wanted to ask you, if we sort of flip the switch towards like a dietary aspect of things is if someone was say supplementing that, how long would it take before things got back to baseline? Because it'd be, it'd be quite hard for someone to, to not give in to cravings when their show's done or their photo shoot's done. Um, but the, all that aside, if we think about just the thyroid or the peripheral thyroidism, how long do you think things get back to homeostasis? But I guess I'm asking you probably an open-ended question that's got no definitive answer, right? Yeah, because it's going to be different for everybody because it, it really is dependent on the other stressors going on. And one of the things that can happen is we may just think of the dietary impact and the, and the thyroid hormone upregulation and hey, we, we take the starvation away, we take the thyroid hormone away, and that's our only stressor. But if the cell stress becomes excessive, and we're in allostatic regulation for a while, and you get you can go into what we call allostatic overload, where systems actually start to break down. And so you take away the, the, some of the initial triggers that maybe pushed you over the edge, 
but there's still other stressors going on. And what some of those stressors are now the dysfunction of systems that are now adding to the, the stress level. So there's, we're always have some level of stress and whether it's microbial, whether it's, um, toxicity, whether it's diet induced, whether it's lack of sleep, whatever those stressors are, we always have them. Something pushes us over the edge into that danger response. When we're in that danger response for too long, now we have systems that start to become dysfunctional. We call that allostatic overload. And now those dysfunctional systems are part of the stress. So it makes it really convoluted to try and fix because you go, well, I did this before and it worked. And now it's not working. And why was it wanted to come back now? Because you push some of those tissues into dysfunction and they don't work the same way that they used to. They've lost that resiliency to come back. When we're young, the resiliency is much better. As we get older, that resiliency is not, not there to the same level. And so now it becomes harder to come back. And each time we do that kind of dietary starvation thing to get to where we need to get to, um, it, it changes the set point of thyroid physiology. Okay. And so it gets harder and harder to restore back to our normal yeah. physiology. Okay. That makes sense. So the set point changes in time and that's a good defensive mechanism. So the body says, wait a second, we're having these chron- chronic bouts of starvation. You know what we should do? We should just slow down the general metabolism here. So that way, when we have the next starvation phase, we're not going to have that same we're, we're prepared. You know what I mean? We've yeah. got plenty of reserves here for that next starvation phase. So it totally. gets harder and harder to do it in an effort to do it. Awesome. Now, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about was staying on the diet side of things or the diet front. Do you feel there's any sort of inflammatory foods that have that same effect or stress response in the body, in particular, like gluten or dairy um, or the overconsumption of those two um, or anything else that would perhaps cause some clinical hypothyroidism? Oh, yeah, food can definitely play a role. Gluten has got it um, has gotten a lot of press, obviously, and I don't know if it's just gluten and, and grains per se. I think there's a pros and cons. Um, I think a lot of it probably has to do the, with uh, how those grains are processed. Uh, definitely, in a world where we have GMO in the U.S. and they they use glyphosate on those on a regular basis to to kill the the organisms that may damage the crop, that that glyphosate is absorbed by us. It can change our gut biome. That can tra- trigger an inflammatory process, dysbiosis, and be the trigger. Um, I that can then when, in countries where they're not using GMO-based stuff, we think we're good, but then they can still use things like Roundup to spray the crops to kill them, to prepare them for to make it easier to harvest, and that's still there. I think there's a potential issue with iron supplementation in some food sources because we only absorb typically if we have a healthy GI tract we only absorb about a milligram of iron per day and we poop out about a milligram of of iron per day and if we have lots of iron in excessively fortifying foods and we have this leaky gut scenario free iron in the body is a massive source of tissue or of um, inflammation oxidative stress and can reactivate dormant organisms, so that can become a stressor. Um, so is dairy the problem? Is gluten the problem? It's different for everybody, but I would I would say for the vast majority of people, the around diet, these are my general things I tell most people. 
eat as much real food as possible and as little processed food as possible. Eat it as close to its natural state as possible. Eat stuff in season. And it's my thought process and my belief that, and I've seen it in my practice, that a lot of people, um, we have a disease of abundance today, right? And so we have so much food. Many of us eat excessive amount of calories, and I'm not a calories in, calories out person, but we probably eat what may much more calories that we need to eat. That And when a lot of times we're eating foods that are out of season, especially plant-based foods. And my concern with plant-based foods is we have this talk about lectins and phytic acid and, and the things that are in plants that can be problematic. Well, there's a lot of these plants that can, when they're eaten out of season, have higher toxin content. And so that's the plant's defense, right? So if a plant doesn't want to be eaten when it's not ready for the seed to be dropped in the soil and grow a new plant, it has high concentrations of, of, of lectins in them that are going to be the trigger to tell an animal when it eats it, hey, when the animal eats an unripe plant, it doesn't feel good, it gets sick, it throws up, and it goes, you know what, I'm not eating that again. Mm-hmm. And then when the plant's ready, the, the toxin load goes down, it turns this nice, attractive color, and the animal eats it, then it poops it out, and the, and the plant propagates, right? Sure. We, we don't pay attention to that. And so we're growing crops over, the, over here somewhere. We're pulling them or harvesting them when they're not even ripe. We force ripen them, which doesn't necessarily reduce the toxin load. And then we're eating these things out of season, and, they're, and the, that's when those toxins are probably more problematic. I think this is one of the reasons why you see so many people in the, that are pushing the carnivore message that, hey, carnivore is really good, and you see people dramatically change. It's because they've reduced probably the toxin load from the plants that are being eaten out of season. Yeah. And so eat real food, eat it in season, eat variety. And if you eat real food, less toxic food, you're going to probably be a lot healthier. I think the other piece to that that I would say is really helpful is quantity, quality, and frequency. We were all taught maybe 10 years or so ago to eat five to six small meals per day, constantly grazing so blood sugar doesn't rise or fall, um, and that you maintain this steady state of, of, of glucose regulation. And what have we got? We've gotten obesity as a result of those, yeah. those guidelines, right? Yeah. And so I think for the vast majority of people, um, they, could, they could benefit from time-restricted or time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, however you like to classify it, which means eating in a smaller window and allowing a bigger fasting period. And some people would say, well, what's the difference? If the calorie content is the same, let's say it's 2,000 calories, but I eat it in two meals in six hours versus spread that across seven meals or six meals through the day, what's the real difference? Does it really matter? Well, it does seem to matter. And from my opinion, it all comes down to satiety in the brain. When you are never creating satiety in the brain because you're eating small meals that don't ever really give you that great strong satiety signal that, hey, I'm, 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 my brain is satisfied, my body's satisfied, that creates a danger signal over time. But when you fast for a period of time, that is a stress response, it, but it does cause the body to increase the burning of, of stored fat. And then you get that, that eating window where you, you eat enough to create satiety. Now the brain's like, hey, that's cool. We've got our food and we can increase our metabolism, right? Yep. And so 
I, from what I've seen, what I've read, I think for most people, the grazing through the day is probably the worst thing they can do if they're trying to manage their weight. And time-restricted eating is probably one of the best things to do to monitor, manage and monitor body fat. Um, there's a, one other point to that, and that's the concern that I hear some people saying, well, if you fast, that's going to cause your thyroid hormone to become deactivated and you're going to slow down your metabolism. Uh, yes and no. So there is, there is a, there is going to be when you're not eating, there is some going to be a slowdown of your metabolism to some degree, but again, not all systems are slowed down evenly. Okay. And one of the things that happens and it's not really talked about very much is the fact that when there is a danger response, T4 can be converted to reverse T3 to slow down the metabolism. But T3, the active hormone, can actually be converted to one of four forms of something called T2. It's another form of thyroid hormone. And that, T, that form of T2 actually has the ability to support the mitochondrial function and support energy production and support fat metabolism. So the body's got a backup plan. So when there is this general down-regulation of thyroid hormone, and T4 and T3 are being deactivated, T3 can be deactivated, and it's not really technically deactivated, but converted to T2, which will continue to drive metabolism in a stressed state. And so it's not like this all or none principle, the body decrease, whether it's the whole body or within the cell, the actions within the cell that aren't critical to survival get downregulated, and the, and the systems that are critical to survival, mitochondrial function changes, but we also increase fat metabolism by the conversion of, of T3 to this form of T2. So there's a backup plan. So it's not the thing for people to be scared or concerned of. Does that mean everybody thrives in time-restricted eating? Maybe not. Can everybody go from eating five to six meals a day to two meals per day? Probably not. It's a transition that you need to go through because you probably already have poor blood sugar physiology and poor blood sugar regulation. But it, I, I think... I think we misspeak many times when we say, oh, well, if you fast, it's going to cause your thyroid to slow down even further. So you need to eat five, six meals per day. I think that's some of the worst advice we could give somebody. Yeah. And if somebody really understands insulin resistance and blood sugar dysregulation, you will understand that thyroid hormone, appropriate levels of thyroid hormone are critical to blood sugar regulation. What brings glucose into the cell are these things called glucose transporters glut one glut two glut three glut four glut one and three are primarily basal glucose transporters which means when you're not eating those are the transporters that are used to bring glucose into the cell you have to have adequate levels of t3 in the cell for those to work so if you're in chronic danger response those thyroid hormone thyroid hormone is down regulated to bring glucose in, you're going to start to become insulin resistant, mm -hmm. which means you're now going to be pushing glucose into your fat cells. Okay. So under danger mode, you would say, well, why would the body do that? I'm in danger. I want to bring more glucose in. No, yep. because the body, the cell is saying, Hey, there's a danger here at the cell. It may be an organism like bacteria or virus or something and bringing more glucose into the cell is going to do what it's going to upregulate the ability for that that organism or that threat to continue to develop so the the cell gets walled off 
glucose transport gets decreased and our basal use of glucose goes down, it goes into fat, right? The other thing is glucose transporter four, GLUT4 is the insulin dependent glucose transporter. Yep. So when we eat food, if we have a healthy GI tract, right? Within 15 minutes, or it's really almost immediate of putting food in the GI tract, we have our first phase insulin response. So 50% of the insulin that's going to be released is released in that first few minutes of eating. If you don't have a healthy gut function, you don't get appropriate insulin release. Okay. But for insulin to work, it needs to, it needs this glucose glute four transporter. And guess what that glucose transport transporter requires? It requires optimal levels of T3 in the cell for it to work. So you, now you have cell stress, cell danger. You can't bring glucose in at a basal rate. You don't bring it in well when you after you eat. So the body has to drive that excess glucose somewhere. Where's it going to go? Uh, well, guess what? Glucose transporter two is the one that drives glucose out of the liver and into fat cells. Yep. And so it's not down-regulated at the same rate of, as glute one, glute three, and glute four. It stays active longer which allows for you to store more fat. Is that a mistake by the body? I don't think so. If a cell and a body's under danger, hey, we don't want to bring it here, but we're going to need that later when we turn the system back on, so we're going to store it as fat. So I think we just have been given, we've been given a lot of bad advice when it comes to <laughs> dieting and nutrition. And I think for the general pers person, when you're thinking about, should I be carnivore? Should I be keto? Should I be... Um, vegetarian. I, listen, I don't care which one you you do, as long as you do it really well. And the focus is eating the best quality food you can get in season, right? Not too much time restricted eating. Don't graze all day because if you're constantly grazing all day and bringing fuel into the body, why the heck would it ever give up the stores, yeah. right? If you stored all your stuff in the basement, but somebody brought you more stuff, are you going to go down to the basement and get the old stuff that they gave you? Or are you going to use the stuff that just came in? You're going to use the stuff that just came in. So if you're grazing all day, there's really no need to burn off your resource. Yeah. What I love is that I'm sitting there nodding because you're just connecting all the dots that just make sense in this bodybuilding world of chronic stress, adding body fat and alarmly high rate, high like frequent periods and, and i think there's so many gems i i was going to ask you then you know your best piece of advice for someone out there but you've given so many anecdotes of advice through this episode that it would be wrong of me to pick out one and if i say to any listeners go back and listen to it again if you want to try and pick out one i'm well aware of time and i know you are a busy man so what i want to do is just open up the opportunity for yourself to to give your sort of contact details or your website, how people can get in contact with you, they've listened and they want to reach out. Um, could you drop your handle? Yeah, the it's rejuvagencenter.com. I'm sure you'll put it in the stuff. Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram is probably where I'm most prolific, I guess, of putting stuff out there. I'm not a huge social media person, but I've found the gram. And <laughs> that's where I think I, I, I connect best. And so I'm Dr. Balcavage, Dr. Eric Balcavage on Instagram. Um, I have a podcast called Thyroid Answers Podcast. It's available wherever you download podcasts. Um, I have a book coming out. It's called The Thyroid Debacle. I've written that book with uh, Dr. Kelly Haldeman, a friend of mine. She's a medical doctor. Um, 
And that book is uh, in pre-order right now. So if you have more questions about what we're talking about, cellular hypothyroidism and the cell danger response and how to address this uh, without fixing the thyroid gland, because again, I think you need to address the stressors that are causing the change in physiology, not try and force your thyroid physiology to do something that the body doesn't want it to. You can go to wherever you buy books, Amazon, wherever, and we're on pre-order there for the thyroid debacle. And I, I think that to me is probably the thing that's most important right now is to try and get the message out. And the best way to get that message out is to get that book and these ideas and concepts and hypotheses that I'm trying to get out there, um, get that book in more people's hands so they can make more sense of what's going on with their physiology. And I'll add the link uh, in the bio and on the YouTube channel, just to get a button to hit so that people can can have that if you send me that over. Um, but absolutely, we'll from uh, from myself um, and and from everyone really in the UK bodybuilding scene, um, that's an absolute gem. Uh, everything you just said, I appreciate it. Just want to say, hey, from my from uh, from me and uh, from everyone here in in the US. Give it the beans.